Hello, Mountain. It's good to be with everybody. Glad you're here this weekend. Today, here's where we're going. Kind of a tall order. I hope that by the time you walk out of here today, you will have God challenge and change your view of reality. So no big deal. Secondly, I hope you have a whole new perception of your place on the time-space continuum, because I know a lot of you, that was a burning issue when you came in this morning. No? Maybe it will be by the end. But first, we've got to talk about trees, so <clears throat> relax. Uh, how, how many of you are the uh, assertive, aggressive, early planners? Here's your time to brag. Raise your hand at all of our campuses if you have already put up your Christmas tree. Here's your time to show off. There you are. Look at you. You you're so impressive. I'm not. I'm raising my hand hypothetically. We are not in that camp. How, let's do another survey on trees. How many of you are like real tree people? You go cut down. You 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 kill our forests for your house. Okay. How many of uh, how many of you are the other kind, like fakers, posers? Okay. Yeah. How many of you uh, put an angel on top of your tree? Is that like a tradition? How many like Vikings ornaments? Just just me, really. Interesting. Any, any pickle people put a pickle on your tree? It's like a German tradition, which is weird. A banana? Anyone put a banana on your tree? I just made that up. I don't, I've never heard of that. So. Uh, yeah, so trees are, trees are everywhere. There's such a focal point of our Christmas celebrations, aren't they? Christmas trees are everywhere. You hear, in, in just about every um, Christmas song, they're there. Just about every Christmas movie, they're there. You know, Miracle on 34th Street, uh, uh, Christmas Vacation, which, of course, the scene with the cat, my favorite scene. But you get the idea. They're just about everywhere. And, and, and there's such a variety of trees. And you can think of the different trees that you've seen and you have in your own homes. And they're, they're, some are very nice and some aren't as nice, depending on how, uh, how they are to begin with. You get some odd trees out there. Uh, you know, there's quite a tradition with trees in America. There's about a million acres of land uh, devoted to um, growing Christmas trees, and about 80 million new trees are planted every year. I don't know if you knew that. That's why there's one in just about every single home, including the White House and maybe your home. Uh, but what you maybe didn't know is that the Puritans in this country early on actually outlawed Christmas trees. They saw it as like a pagan tradition, but the immigrants from Ireland and Germany and other places eventually brought their Christian trees with them and their traditions. They, uh, they, they came and became, became part of what Christians do uh, all the time here. You may also not realize a fascinating connection that in many European countries, back in medieval periods, December 24th was known as Adam and Eve Day. And they had a major play that they did, and the central prop in that play was a tree, an evergreen fir tree, decorated with apples to represent the Garden of Eden. Isn't that interesting? And then eventually that tree, um, sort of the apples were replaced with shiny little red objects that look more like the, the balls that we hang from our trees today. And then they put candles on it to represent the light of Christ. Apparently no one told them putting fire on a pine tree was a bad idea. And, uh, that, and it was actually Thomas Edison's assistants that uh, came up with the light bulb idea and the string that we still use today. But the interesting thing to note there, I think, is that Christmas trees that we have today actually go back to when they were trying to, to, to have something look like a tree in the Garden of Eden, because that's actually where we want to begin today. Um, we, the Christmas story actually begins... Not in the stories where we often read, but I, in my opinion, it begins in Genesis itself. 
which is the beginning of the Bible. You know this, right? The first book of the Bible is, and which means beginnings, and it begins by saying, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Today we begin also our Advent journey, which is not really a, a word that's in the Bible, but if you care about welcoming Jesus into your life, then you're, you're going to want to do anything you can to prepare your head and your heart and make some space for God to come. And, and, and so that's why we do this Advent thing. Instead of just mimicking a culture that wants to have Black Friday be like a starting gun where we race out the doors and participate in the feeding frenzy of crazy Christmas commercialism, we can instead slow down and intentionally enrich our lives, find some way to meaningfully connect with God and make some new ways where you welcome Jesus into your life. That's what Advent is for, so that we don't actually, what I would say, miss the forest for the tree, like get so occupied, preoccupied and distracted on the Christmas tree and the Christmas food and the Christmas party and the Christmas whatever in front of us that we miss the bigger forest of what God is doing. And that's where we want to start today in Genesis, and we're just going to kind of try our best to preach the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, so we better get started. Don't miss the forest for the tree. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at several different trees, none of which are actually Christmas trees, but all of which will help us see the main point of Christmas. So if you open your Bible or your um, phone or whatever you've got, if you're looking at an old Bible, you go to the very beginning of it to look at the book of Genesis. And if you look there, uh, for example, chapter 2, verse 7 says, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being, talking about the creation story. The word in Hebrew there for man is Adam. The word in Hebrew for ground or dirt or earth is Adama. Isn't that interesting? So it says here, God formed the man from the dirt, the Adam from the Adama. So already you're learning two things today. One, no surprise that the man was named Adam, and second, if you call someone a dirt clod, you're just being biblical, okay? So there you go. Verse 8 and 9, pay attention to this now. We're seeing this beautifully, incredibly awesome place that God has made and fashioned and created out of his energy. God, uh, it says in verse 8 and 9, the Lord God planted a garden in, the e in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees to grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he placed, listen, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10 goes on to describe how there's this beautiful river that runs right down through the whole middle of the whole thing, watering the garden, and then it separates into four different rivers. He names the rivers. Verse 15 says, the Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work it and care for it. God, right at the beginning, is giving us meaningful work to do, responsibility to partner with God. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. Anybody can get an amen? Yeah, not good to be alone. I will make a helper is just right for him. And the woman is brought into the picture, this perfect partner. Together, the Bible says they represent somehow beautifully the image 
of God. And so see what the writer is doing. Rob Bell says he, he's like, it's like an opening scene of a movie, and I think it's a good way to picture Genesis, okay? He's giving us these, these images, these beautiful pictures, and what you see is this beautiful place. You see this river. You see trees. You see the man and the woman in the center of it all, the tree of life. Then look at verse 19 and 20. What you see next is God creates all these creatures, and what does he do? He brings them to the man, Adam, to do what? To name them. He says, I want you to name them. Give, give names to the livestock. And Adam, whatever you call them, that's what we're going to call them. This is interesting to me. Isn't it fascinating? I assume God is perfectly capable of naming the animals himself. What do you think? I mean, I think he has a little bit of energy and creativity to him. But right away, God takes this important task and hands it to the man. Invites him into God's work, like a parent who gives a doll to a child and says, hey, this is a gift for you, but I want you, you get to name it. You pick the name. See how empowering that is? And that's what God does with us. Adam, you better get started. I think this is a funny scene. I don't know. I like to imagine what that was like. Can you picture that? So here comes the animal. Adam's like, he's never actually thought much before. So here he is trying to figure this out. And he's like, here's the animals. Now you've got to come up with a name. It's like, they bring one by. He's like, ooh. hippopotamus and God and the angels are like whatever go with it you know and God says good go again go again oh and one comes by he goes okay he's kind of finding his rhythm a little bit you know he's like ah kangaroo kangaroo it'll be a kangaroo God says good job nice here go keep going you're doing great and he just keeps naming these he's like oh mmm ah warthog <laughs> he's feeling confident, you know, and he and says, oh, uh, let's see, um, duck build platypus. <laughs> there it is, and he gets to name it, whatever it is, yellow-bellied sapsucker. <laughs> so he, gets, he just names all these animals, and then one comes, you know, eventually I just picture, he's just like, he's out of energy, he's just completely tapped out, he's like, I don't know, dog, you know, I don't know, dog. God's like, well, that's good, hey, that's my name backwards. Yeah. I don't know if he says I'll make him your best friend. There you go. Comes by. Cat? God's like, wait a second, I didn't make that one. Where'd that come from? Where'd that come from? I don't know where else that could have come from. Anyway, just kidding. You don't have to write me emails on that. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. Isn't it interesting that God could have done this on his own, is fully capable. It's not like I'm so exhausted. I've been creating for six days. I haven't invented the Sabbath yet. Who can you take it from here? No, he, he could have done this and he could have done it better. But he invites the man into a partnership with him to help make the world the way he wants it to be. He invites us into meaningful responsibility. God has this crazy habit of giving away huge responsibilities to humans. And inviting us from the very beginning into this arranging and cultivating the world so it's going to be the way God wants it to be in all of its beauty. God is still looking for partners who will say, I'm on your team. I will work with you to help make the world the way you want it to be. God says, I, I created people. I want you to love them. I've created the planet. I want you to take care of it. I've got a mission to reach the ends of the earth. I want you to carry it. We're plan A. There is no plan B. Friend, listen. If you have the breath of God in you, if you are a living human being, then God has a job for you to do. And it's meaningful 
and it's purposeful. I'm not talking about going to work. I'm talking about the purpose that you're here as a part of God's plan. There's important stuff to be done, and God invites you into it, and he's counting on you. Oh, we got to keep going. Verse 22, then God made the woman, brought her to the man, and the man says, wow, this one's perfect for me. We're going to get along great. Verse 23, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's so, it's so great, this whole thing. It's just so awesome. So many, I don't know. He calls her woman, I think, because when he saw her, he said, whoa, man. That's how, that's not really biblical, but. And you see this interdependence and complementarity between the man and the woman where she's strong, I'm weak. Where I'm weak, she's strong, and they fit together so great and make a great team. And then look at what happens in this relationship between the humans and God. Verse 25 says the man and the wife were there together. God is communing with them. And then it says they were naked and felt no shame. Naked and felt no shame. That's more than just physical nakedness we're talking about there. It's talking about this this sort of being laid bare open before someone who knows everything about you and yet you're not afraid because there's nothing to hide and they love you anyway. And that's how it is with God. It's a mingling of souls, the fusion of spirits at the deepest level where you're not hiding or running or, or ashamed or, and you can connect in a deep way. This is incredibly powerful and beautiful. It's what we all are made for and what we long for. And this is like the opening scene of a movie describing what God is up to. Genesis is not a science book. It's trying to describe these beautiful pictures. And so here it is. You see it? You've got, you've got, you've got humans created in God's image, and then you've got this river flowing down through it. You've got harmony between each other and God, and then the middle of it all, a tree, the tree of life. That's how things begin. Awesome. Perfect. Beautiful. Everything's awesome around the tree of life. Even 49ers fans and Ravens fans get along there. That's how awesome it is. Now, that's how the story begins. Let's talk about how the story ends. And if you're going to do that biblically, you don't go to the book of Genesis. Where do you go to find out how the story ends? You go to the end of the book, which is all the way. The last book is called Revelation. So you go there. So we start in the first chapter of the first book. We're going to go to the last chapter of the last book. And that's the picture of what's yet to come. A sneak preview of what God's going to do when everything comes down. A sneak preview of the end of all things and the beginning of eternity. This is what will be someday. Chapter 21 says that God says, I am making everything new. He's starting kind of over again. Everything will be awesome, it says, just like it was in the beginning. Verse 4, verses of chapter 21 says that there'll be no more death or crying or sorrow or tears, and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. We'll be home. And the description, look at the description. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. Listen to the description of what it will be. The angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne and from the God of the Lamb. And it flowed down the center of the main street. And on each side of the river grew, listen, a tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. And the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. You hear, does anything sound familiar? You've got a river. You've got harmony between the humans. And, and harmony between the humans and God, and you've got uh, a river and a tree of life. And then scripture goes on to say that 
we will reign with God and he will give us meaningful responsibilities to care and partner with him in the new kingdom. So do you see it? At the end of time, you've got, you've got God with people and harmony between people and one another and between them and God and you've got a river and the tree of life. And what you are right now observing, people who've read the Bible their whole life have sometimes failed to observe. And that is that the Bible begins and ends with pictures that describe the beginning of reality and the end of all time in exactly the same detail. And at the center of both scenes is a tree of life. It's the same tree. Which means that you and I, right now, are living between the trees. Here we are. It's where we live. Between that tree and that tree. This is the beginning. This is Genesis. This is how things were. It's awesome. Here's how things will be. It's awesome. But right now we live here. Where? Between the trees. Think about that. Think about what that means. Think about what it means, for example, when it comes to time and how we think about time. Because God is this infinite creature, right? God extends forever to your left. Like God always has been, right? He preexisted the creation. He, he's been around, right? He's, so God is forever that way. But God is also, the Bible says, like, he's going to exist forever that way. He's like eternal. And he goes forever to your right, right? So God's like the Alpha and the Omega, right? He's like the beginning and the end. Am I right? He, like, exists forever outside of how we think of time, and then he creates these creatures who live between the trees who say things like, oh, I went shopping on Black Friday, and I got caught in line. Oh, my gosh, I had to wait forever. <laughs> I went driving, and I had to wait through the light three times. It was an eternity. Like, no, no, it wasn't. Because this space of time here between the trees is a blip on the radar screen of all eternity. From when God created to when Jesus comes back. From this tree to that tree is just a brief moment. A realm that exists temporarily. That we are very accustomed to and call home and reality. But it's temporary at best. You got a watch? If you have a watch, you won't need it in heaven. That's my theory. Because I don't think there'll be time as we reckon it today. Think about it. I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure about all of this part. But I, it's interesting. Time runs on 24-hour cycle, which is based off of what? The sun. And, or your calendar is based off a lunar cycle, right? Based off the moon. Almost every way we have a reckoning time is intimately connected with the movement of celestial bodies, which God then created. A greater light to rule the day, one to rule the night. And Revelation says that when we get there, there will be no more need for the sun or the moon because God himself will be their light. Interesting. Time is a temporary construct in the history of time. Watches are only relevant here and now. You won't need it in heaven. And... Think about, think about this. Think about the things, here, here's why it sells me on it. Think about the things you love doing the most. Like when you're really engaged and connected with people and lost in an activity that's meaningful or 
really connected with God in some meaningful worship or way like that, have you ever heard yourself say, oh my goodness, I lost track of time. Oh my goodness, I can't believe we've been doing this for four hours. Because what happens? Time flies when you're having fun and you're engaged and you're deeply, but think about the things that bore you the most. You know, you're at the MBA, you're stuck in a driver's ed class, you're in a boring sermon by Ben, you can't get out, and it just seems like it goes on forever, right? Isn't that interesting? And so God gives us this picture of heaven where it's eternity, and it sounds like, oh my gosh, I, I think I'll get bored. And it's like, no, you won't. It, we once in a while get a little glimpse of that here between the trees where we're so engaged with something, so happy, so fulfilled. It's so much meaning, and it's so awesome that we're like, where'd the time go? And it seems like that's what forever will be like, except it won't be forever. It'll just be like, now. <laughs> yeah. So, hell... When you're bored, you're just getting a little taste of hell. And when you're meaningfully engaged, you're getting a little taste of heaven. And so if I were just practical and I were the devil, and I were trying to try to prevent people from experiencing God in meaningful ways, if I was trying to prevent people from having a meaningful life between the trees, what would I do? If I was trying to prevent people from really just like ever like tasting what God had in mind for them, what would I do? I don't know. Maybe I'd just keep them busy. Keep them so preoccupied and so busy that they could never actually engage with God. Keep them busy and moving fast. If I could come up with some kind of device, you know, that would just like pepper them with constant, endless communications and cat videos and mindless games so that they could never be fully present with God or anyone else to experience a little bit of that here. That's maybe what I would do. I don't know. Friends, can we... Can we just, this Christmas and Advent, maybe just slow down time and figure out a way to intentionally run against the current of what the Christmas thing is like and find a way to meaningfully connect with a God who is outside of time and meaningfully connect where we're fully present with others in a way that reflects what that's going to look like, even between the trees. How are you going to do that this Christmas? You know, there's so many other implications, like, for example, miracles. Think about miracles for a minute. Like, so many things are not the way they seem between the trees. Like, we think of a miracle as some bizarre, rare exception, some aberration of what's normal breaking into our world. So when you see some miraculous healing, for example, we think, oh my goodness, that's so unreal. How did that happen? But if you stop and think about it, if wholeness and healing and health and perfection are what things were normally supposed to be at the beginning, and in fact, wholeness and healing and health and perfection and everlasting life, shalom, is what it will be that day, then what we're experiencing right now, death and disease and decay, is the exception. And it's the thing that doesn't fit. What we call miracles are little just breakthroughs of the way things actually are. Miracles are reality. And this time between the trees, we're experiencing all this weirdness where things don't quite work the way they were meant to. 
Even though occasionally we get these miracles which are like little invasions from the trees. And so Jesus demonstrates it when he comes and he brings the kingdom. He brings the, the tree life into this earth. And he's, everywhere he goes, he's like the blind see, the lame walk, the captives are set free. And we're like, oh, a little bit of on earth between the trees as it is in heaven right here. Because Jesus brings the kingdom of God here. And it's here, sort of. But let's face it, it doesn't happen all the time. Because, you know, we, we say things like, wow, how'd that happen, that healing? And what we ought to say is, wow, how'd that guy get cancer? I can't believe it came to that. Because that's, that's the exception. And, and, and so things, things aren't quite the way they're supposed to be between the trees. And I think every one of us knows that. How did that happen? How did things get messed up? Between, how did we get from this to this? Well, you know that story. It's also in Genesis where everything here and there is under submission to God's will. But God also created us in his image, which means we have the choice to exercise our will and our dominion, our kingdom. One day, there will be complete submission to God's kingdom. But in this period in between the trees, he allows rival kingdoms. And you can have your own if you want. You can say no to God. This is what happened in the beginning. He created not just the tree of life, but he created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember the tree, don't eat of the fruit. Like, trust me, trust me. But like every human since then, Adam and Eve thought they were smarter than God. We think we know better. We ate of the fruit. We exerted our own kingdom, which meant there was a decision to walk away from everything that this represented. And God was forced to comply with our wishes. And we're still walking away. You know, art is filled with chilling frescoes and paintings all over the cathedrals and the museums of this land picturing that moment of the banishment where God was forced to thrust Adam and Eve from the garden and it's so painful for me to see it makes me almost weep the light of God and the beauty and the river and the tree behind them as they walk with their head held in shame like what have I done Something's different between them already and the distance between them and God and the world they're walking to has only a hint and a shadow of the former glory of what it was and even creation itself begins to ache and groan and everything is twisted. The Bible says it's under a curse. It's kind of just marred and messed up and never going to be the same and this is not the way it's supposed to be between the trees and I think we all know it and once in a while you just say God I wish you'd just open the sky and come down and fix it that's the first Sunday of Advent right there God come and fix it and God says I hear you I see you and so he comes to start fixing everything by paying a personal visit between the trees showed up as a baby of all things grew to be a man who would live and embody that tree of what God was going to do with a promise that he was going to restore all things back to the way God wants them to be. He began that project. And it was like the kingdom had come. It was here in Jesus now. But not yet fully. It was here, but still there. One day, 
or promised, Revelation 22, verse 3, there will be no longer a curse on everything when God finishes the work and we'll be home, but not yet. He defeated death. He conquered death. And he proved that he can restore all things. But he left the choice open between the trees. And so here you have it. You have Genesis where you've got the beginning and people are perfect and beautiful and in relationship with one another and God. And here you have people who are not so perfect and the image of God is marred in us and everything's tainted and the relationship's off. But here it'll all be restored and God will be with us and we'll be all right again. And here you have our bodies that ache and uh, that are beautiful and, and live forever. And here they ache and groan and we die. And here death is destroyed forever and we live forever. And here you have even the creation itself, beautiful and endless and pure and beautiful and light. And here you have an aching, groaning creation. Even things don't work right here. Dog eat dog world. And over here, the lion will die down with the lamb again and it'll be all right. Here you have paradise. Here's paradise lost and paradise regained. And this is the promise of God and he says I'm restoring what's he restoring he's restoring that tree to that tree and we're just temporarily stuck here between the trees and every so often you just ache for God to open the sky and just fix it all don't you we had this missions thing last week I met so many people I met a, a, I met a, I met a, I heard a story of a of a young girl who and did meet her she grew up in an orphanage in another country it was an awful story to hear she never had an earthly possession, shared a toothbrush with 13 other girls. Never touched, never loved. I heard about girls that were sold into sex slavery and young boys sold into other kinds of slavery all over the world, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them every single day. I've heard about some young youth overdosing, wasting their minds and their lives. We hear about war and divorce and addiction. And don't you long for Jesus to do something about it? So Advent says, you know, Jesus came between the trees to begin that project. To show us that he has the power to do it by dying and rising again. To defeat our worst enemy, death. And then to introduce the kingdom living and invite us to partner with God. To do his work. To bring that kingdom on earth between the trees as it is in heaven by that tree. And every once in a while, you get a little glimpse, don't you, of heaven on earth. Every once in a while, you get a taste. You get a little like, that's, that's as if Jesus was right here, as if his body was still on the planet. That little girl who grew up in the orphanage, a family sent one of those Christmas boxes like hundreds of you sent this year she got that she got that box and they gave it to her it was the first possession she'd ever had in her life little girl opened that box stuffed animal and everything you know what was in there a toothbrush her very own toothbrush she began to believe that someone might know and care about her which set her up perfectly for the time when she was adopted by a christian family here in maryland and today she's a follower of jesus bringing the kingdom there's a little taste of the kingdom of god on earth in the midst of this tough old world and Angela, who used to be a resident and intern here at Mountain, now she's over in Thailand, last four years of her life, a brilliant young woman who gives her life to rescuing girls out of sex trafficking. She's not solved the whole problem, but she's rescued one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. The kingdom, you get to see little glimpses every now and then, don't you? And Friday night, 
whole bunch of addicts gathered here while you were still digesting turkey. A lot of us were here holding on to each other, worshiping God and praying and singing together and loving life because life is good for those addicts because at Celebrate Recovery, we have a little taste of the kingdom of God on earth. And everything this church does is all about bringing as many as we can from here to there. But also we want to bring as much of that to here as we can. Take as many from earth to heaven as we can, but also take as much heaven as we can to earth. So friend, love this world. Love God, love people, and serve the world. It's what we do between the trees. We serve, get with the program as it were. Let your life count and be caught up in God's work. Love this world. But let me leave you with this. Don't, don't love it so much that you're, you're afraid to leave when it's time. Because <laughs> this is just temporary. Let, let's, say, let's say you're at a party. You go to a party with a friend. Friend's driving and you're, you're just along for the ride. And, and you get there and the party's kind of slow at first, but it kind of picks up and after a while you start to think, this could be okay. This could be, I, I, I have, I start, you're just starting to have a good time. And then all of a sudden, your friend says, yeah, we're leaving, let's go, time to go. And you have to leave the party early. And you're so disappointed. You get in the car, you're kind of sour about it. All the way home, there you, you know, whatever, and you thanks and goodbye. And you go inside your house, you flip on the light, you walk in. And all of a sudden, there's a room full of people that you know and love. And they're like, surprise, there's a banner and there's cake and the music starts up. It's your favorite music and it's some of the people you love the most. And they're there and there's food that you love, ding-dongs and ho-hos and, and, and Domino's pizza and ice cream sandwiches and your favorite music and friends you have not seen for so long. They run up and grab your neck and they hug you and it dawns on you, wait a second, this is the real party. If I had stayed at the other party, I'd have never gotten to that party. (laughs) Wow, am I glad I didn't stay there. Friends, that's how it is for people like us who live between the trees. There's some pretty good stuff here. This party ain't bad some days, right? It's not all bad. I mean, a beautiful sunset at Ocean, oh, Sunrise, I guess, at Ocean City. It'd be hard to see this. Yeah, whatever, you get it. <laughs> All the things that we love the most about this world, yeah. Thanksgiving was awesome at our house. I know it's not for everybody. We had our kids come home, sitting around the table. I know some of you are looking at empty chairs, and it was hard, but it was sweet for us this year. All the kids are back, and parties and games around the table. It just, it's like a little taste of heaven on earth. I, 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 I had a thing where I read in a book and I wanted to do it this year so we made placards, name placards for everyone. I wanted to put at their plates so when they came in everyone would know there's a place for me. We had some stray dogs roll in and there's a placard with their name on it because I want them to taste a little heaven on earth like I belong, I'm home, this is real, I, I'm loved and I'm welcome here. And you get little snippets like that when you love your kids so much, when you love maybe a bond of a spouse or even a pet and Things like that that just tell us how much this life can be awesome. But friend, don't, don't forget, it's not the real party at all. And it's just a hint of what's to come, and it pales by comparison. I think this is especially important sometimes because sometimes Christians are forced to leave the party early. Someone's going to get sick when they're young. We're like, oh, I don't, I don't want to leave. 
It's easy to think of all you'll miss, and I know it's so hard, but don't forget, the real party is waiting for you, and when you get to that party, you won't miss this party at all. God promises you won't. So hang in there and live in hope and wait with faith. Jesus has come between the trees and his name is Emmanuel, which means he's with us. So whatever happens, I know some of you are struggling. I know life is really hard for some of us between the trees. Maybe right now is a tough one. But don't forget, Jesus has come, which means he's with us. And that can bring you a great amount of comfort and strength and lift your head and help you get through and keep on fighting through the fog till you touch home base, which is the truth. But don't forget, also, he didn't just come the first time, he's coming again. And when he comes, he will bring us home. That's the real party. You ever stop and think, how does Jesus do all that? How can he do it? How can God help us get from that tree to that tree? How? How did Jesus do it? From that tree to that tree. Father, we pray in thanks for Jesus and for his coming, his dying, and his rising again to get us from that tree to that tree. Help us now between the trees to have faith in you, to trust in you, and to give you our very lives. Help us to love God, love people, and serve the world with faithfulness until you come. Help us to bring the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Help us to bring as many on earth to heaven with us. Thank you for coming. And thank you for coming again. We pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.